grace and peace to you this day from the one who has died on the cross and has risen from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Reflecting on that gospel lesson, we have a woman who comes to town to draw water. That's not so strange. But it's when she comes. The others have come earlier in the morning or later in the afternoon. She comes at The village well is, is a wonderful gathering place for all of them. It's sort of the equivalent of the water cooler at work that people will gather around and will kibitz. Did you see such and such program last night on television? Did you watch the game? Da, 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 da. And the conversation goes on. It's a place to gather and to chat. The water that this woman draws is precious. But that conversation is precious also for many. These women Lead a hard life. Work, work, work. Continuous. No rest. There's little idleness in a peasant woman's life. So it is that they gather. And as one woman drops her well into the buckets, all the others sit there and talk until it gets filled and is raised up and it's the next person's turn. But as I've already said, this woman comes at noon. When the well is well deserted, well, almost so, the hot midday sun makes her quite uncomfortable, but less uncomfortable than she would be if confronted by all those that were present that morning. By coming at noon, she doesn't have to stand in line. Neither does she have to hear the other women's chatter and gossip and disapproving looks toward her. Have you noticed, both as you read the gospel, as I shared the gospel, that we do not know her name? We do not know her name. In the last chapter that we read here last week, we have the story with many parallels, but we know the person's name, Nicodemus. We know that he was a Pharisee. He wasn't an important man in that community. It's natural, of course, that we should know an important man's name, but this woman, this woman who comes to the well at the oddest time, a peasant woman, a woman without friends, even among other peasant women, women. She remains unnamed. On this particular day, though, as she comes to the well, as was her practice, she finds a man at the well. Odd? Yes. He is a stranger, a traveler. His presence spoils her solitude. Even worse, he does speak to her and he asks her for a drink. Now, this, this might seem normal for us. 
except for this man and this time and this place, would not speak to a woman in public unless he was looking for more than a drink. She didn't have time for all this. She asks, how is it you, a Jew, asks a drink from me, a Samaritan? Good question. Jesus didn't talk, or Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And men didn't talk to women. But Jesus responds curiously to her inquiry. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. That's a phrase that, well, we can understand in perhaps two ways. Two ways. For those of us who get our water daily through a faucet, it's hard to imagine the appeal that there is to living water. I spent much of my childhood in the hills, in the mountains of Tennessee, South Carolina. It wasn't uncommon for as you drove through the mountain to see driven into a side of a mountain, a pipe and water coming out of that pipe. You see, that was the place also. That was that community's well. That's where people would go to get fresh water, living water. For people in primitive times, they either had something of that nature or they had cisterns. We had a cistern. We catch the rainwater. My father used it for watering the lawn, for watering flowers and such. It, 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 it was stagnant. It was stale. It wasn't what you would want to drink. But living water, living water is the kind of water you find there in those mountains. Living water comes from snow up high that melts and begins its run down the side of the slope. And as it spills across the rocks over and over again, it is replenished, it is scrambled, it is refreshed and purified each time it falls over those rocks. If you ever have, if you have ever lived by or camped by a mountain stream, you know what I'm talking about. You know the beauty of that scene. And if you have ever drank of that water, you know the wonderful taste of that water. But even those of us with indoor plumbing can appreciate and can understand that idea of living water. But Jesus doesn't talk about mountain streams and all that beauty. No, 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 no. He's talking about something even more precious, something more wonderful. His words bring to mind some of the beautiful images in Jewish scripture. For example, the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yeah. And later, later, the psalmist also writes, and we have it in our hymnals, as a deer pants for water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. When, when, when you read these passages, I wonder, do you think that the psalmist is speaking only about two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen that has been put together? Or is he talking of something greater, something deeper? As wonderful as water can be when we're thirsty, the psalmist uses those lovely images to talk about something that is even more satisfying. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When Jesus speaks of living water, he is speaking of something that goes far beyond the mere satisfaction of our thirst. He is speaking of what renews and sustains our souls. The woman at the well needed living water. The water that she drew from the well, yeah, it was okay, it was satisfying, it filled the need. But she had a thirst that could not be satisfied with that water. She was lonely. She could not find friendship there at the community well. She wanted more than a man whom she could love and be loved. She wanted meaning in her life. She wanted someone who would fulfill her life. Deep down inside, she was as parched and as bleached as those bleached bones there in the desert. She longs for a bit of human kindness, just as the thirsty person longs for a sip of water. Her heart and her soul cries out for love, for God. But she knew herself to be unworthy, to be undeserving. She had food to eat, yes, and even water, water from that sacred well. And she had a roof over, those, over her head. But they did not even begin, begin to touch her deepest needs. So that brings me to a question. Have you ever felt like that? Have, have, have you ever felt lonely, totally alone? Have you ever felt unloved? Have you ever felt a deep longing, a longing that brings tears to your eyes and pain to your heart? Have you ever felt desperately needy without having the foggiest idea 
of where to turn. Have you ever just gone through the motions day by day by day gathering water from your well putting food on the table eating and working to eat have you ever had life stretching out in front of you endlessly like a street but without joy this woman felt all those things every one of them but but Jesus gave her something he gave her that living water. He restored her soul. He knew exactly who she was. He knows exactly who each of us are. He welcomed her, not for what she could give him, but for what he could give her. I find it interesting to note that Jesus shared with this marginal woman, with this unpopular woman, this no-named woman, he shared with her his deepest secret. He told her that he was the Messiah. He had not revealed that to anyone else as yet, not even to that important man, Nicodemus, not even to his own disciples. The Savior, the Savior who comes and saves even this lost woman, does so because he is the Messiah. He has the power to save, and he sets about that task, renewing souls. And it works. It works that day. For what does she do but leave that well, leaves her bucket and rushes into town, not away from, but into town to tell everyone of her experience. She says, come and see. And they do. Let me repeat that because I think it's important. It's surprising. She, this ostracized woman, says, Come and see. And they follow her to Jesus. They have never listened to her before. They have not tried to even see her, to acknowledge her as a person. They have never followed her, but this time, this time they listen. And at that direction of this no-named woman, they come and come and come to Jesus. They come because she has told them that the stranger knows the deepest secrets of her heart. And she asks, can he be the Messiah? They come. Because for the first time, the woman holds in her hand something that is precious, something that even they want and need. They come because Jesus has touched her life in a way that makes her real, makes her whole. They come 
because Jesus has called her to a task. I'm a firm believer that what Jesus did for this woman there at the well that day, he does for each of us. He does for each of us. In our baptism, we were given the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God's Spirit. In that Spirit is the living water. Is it gushing up inside of you? Are you feeling the presence of the promise of eternal life with him? I pray we all are. But sometimes we who have this stream of living water within us, we go through our lives and we ignore that gift. We carry on oblivious, living as if we were ordinary people. Sometimes we go through life looking for all, through all the world for meaning and for purpose when it's right there inside of us. Sometimes we go through life as thirsty as if we were stranded in the middle of the desert, desperate and hopeless. But all the time, all the time, that living water is there inside. Inside, it's a spring that's gushing up in you. Open the gates. Experience this flood of water from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who restores our soul. We only have to slow down from the rush of every day. I know that seems like an impossible task. But we only have to slow down and feel His presence as if there at that well his presence in your life, to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, to put ourselves into the Spirit's guidance and keeping and allow that Spirit to drive us, to lead us. And it is then that we will feel that living water seeping ever so slowly but constantly back into those dry spaces of our bones, of our lives. For God indeed will restore our